We have been, uh, for the last several weeks, in a series of sermons on marriage, and we're going to wrap that up this morning uh, with, this, with this sermon. Welcome back to Matt and Shay. Haven't been away for about two weeks, I guess, on a vacation, so I'm glad to, to be able to be here this morning and to serve the church in this way. Um, I'll just ask you to look to the Lord now with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word, we ask for your blessing. That you would give us a blessing of understanding and also the blessing of your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to apply what your word speaks to us. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to use the brokenness of my own life to bring forth sweetness and pointing to the great redemption that is limitless for all of us. No matter how deep we find ourselves in entanglement with sin, no matter to what depths we feel we have fallen from your grace, Father, raise up each of us this morning. Heal the brokenhearted, repair the breach that is in the wall of our lives and restore us more and more just a little bit closer after this morning to the image that you have created in us of your own glory. Repair our lives, redeem us, bring us back from the, from the slave market of sin into which this whole race has been plunged, Lord. Do a great work in us as a church that we and that our lives, our marriages would be a display of your glory. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. I'm getting to, to speak to, to something this morning that touches me very deeply, very personally, and that's marriage. Not only my own marriage, but any marriage. I find myself always... Uh, immediately and uncontrollably and suddenly tearing up during the vows at any wedding I attend. Whenever I see a man particularly making a great commitment that involves sacrifice, perhaps the ultimate sacrifice, it, it, it strikes something very, very deep in me that I believe God has redeemed, yes, but I believe it, it, it's, it's just there uh, redeemed Christian or not, it's there in us to recognize love. And when we see and hear the message of the gospel, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for us, guilty and sinful, the righteous dying for the unrighteous, it strikes deep in us. What wondrous love. When, when I witnessed my oldest son take the oath uh, to the Constitution uh, when he enlisted in the Army several months ago, it immediately, it snuck up on me. It, I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't planning it. It was an uh, involuntary response in me to bring forth something very deep and, and tears in my eyes. And marriage, which we will talk about this morning, is very near to my heart. It touches something very deep because it is about Christ and the church. It is about a man laying down his life 
for his wife. It is about two people volunteering to sacrifice themselves for each other. It is also there so that we can identify counterfeit love. Counterfeit love has no sacrifice, no laying down of one's life. And instead of a lump in the throat and a tear welling up in the eyes, we feel a burning indignation when we see it, even if we've been guilty of it ourselves. Just a little background on myself that might be helpful to set some context for uh, this message that grows out of my heart. Um, I, I think I bring, hopefully, God willing, some experience that will shed some light on our marriages, on Christian marriage. Dana and I just celebrated 19 years of marriage a few weeks ago. That's not 30 years, not 40 years, but it is 19 years. And um, so my wife is Dana sitting right here, um, third row back from me. And we have together five children. We have three sons. They were born within 35 months of each other. That's a tight space if you're just, if you're not doing the math. And we have two daughters. Megan is in the nursery and Mary Kate is somewhere. Uh, I was 29 when I got married. And I came to marriage with much heaviness from a sad, a very sad and difficult family story. And I brought much insecurity. My own parents' very difficult marriage racked by alcoholism uh, ended after about 40 years in divorce. I had no advantage of Christian parents modeling to me what a Christian marriage was to be. Nevertheless, God had, God had done, had begun a deep work of redemption in my life. And I think I had enough perspective that marriage would be both the work of the Holy Spirit toward our mutual sanctification and a source of blessing and refuge amidst the many and sometimes severe trials of this fallen world. I was consciously committing myself by the grace of God to a marriage dedicated to the glory of God, the bearing of children as God's gifts, if God willed it, and hoping that it would also be a foretaste of heaven. I came into marriage with a profound sense of my and this world's fallenness and brokenness that brought with it a certain heaviness and a, and a, and a certain soberness that I wanted very much to, to begin to shed in our new life as a family. Now Dana, and we talked about this beforehand, so no surprises, Dana came into marriage being very secure in, her, in both her parents' and her brother's love, and mine. She was, she was and is uh, much loved by them, but she also came with her own handicaps or hindrances to being able to give and to receive love as a whole person. Marriage led her into the discovery of her sin weakness and brokenness as our life uh, together with children brought a growing revelation of her need for Christ. Marriage in many ways was used by, by our blessed Savior to heal much of the brokenness in my life and for Dana in many ways to reveal her brokenness. Yet the, the opposite is certainly also very true. 
But that's our primary experience, and that's what I'm bringing, our primary experience of the work of the Holy Spirit through our marriage and our family life together. She came to marriage with an easiness and, and with a joy and even a certain naivete that was a welcome relief to me given who I was and even am today. So I praise God for that and for my wife. We had both eyes and heart for each other. And the story of how God brought us together is nothing less than his sovereign doing. Though it's not without some circumstances that I think you would find both quaint and also a little bizarre. But I'm going to leave that now uh, just kind of shrouded in mystery, and we can <laughs> talk about that later. Because as we shall see, Christian, lo- Christian marriage is about mystery. It is about the mystery of Christ united to the church. So marriage has been everything good I hoped it to be, everything difficult I expected it to be, and a lot, lot more. My story is a story of God's faithful and continuous work of sanctification. So we're going to use that word quite a bit. What is sanctification? Basically, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll just sum it up this way because it's a, it's a heavy, complicated Christian doctrine. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer in Christ to make them more like Jesus as the believer in Christ also submits to the Holy Spirit in obedience. So it's the work of Jesus in us to make us more like him. It is the work of producing our holiness, our likeness to Christ. There's two parts. There's God working for sure and the believer in Christ working by the strength he supplies. It's a process. It's a difficult process of becoming becoming holy like Jesus is holy. The gospel, the gospel is not something that I once believed, though it is this, it's not just something that I once believed where I entered into a state of grace with God. It is much more than that. It is the A to Z. It is also my continuous daily experience of the grace of God and God furthering his deepening, continuing his work of redemption in me. So when I talk about my story, it's not just something that happened back then, 33 years ago when I was 15 and became a Christian. It is continuing to this very day. And I I pray that today the work that God is doing in me and and, and in you in furthering his work of redemption comes out, that this is present day, this is real time. There is no place that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not touch. There's no place that his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his work of redemption. What do we mean by redemption? It is God It's literally, we were enslaved to sin, alienated from the life of God, dead in trespasses and sins. And by the purchase of Jesus Christ, by his very blood, he takes us from this place once and for all to a place of salvation. But it is also a process where he is using every means of grace to change us and transform us. That's the gospel. 
Though Dana and I have been married for 19 years, one of, in, in that process of redemption, I'm just going to share with you some things where God has been at work recently, how he is at work currently. Just a few months ago, after 19 years of marriage, we had one of our most difficult experiences as a married couple where we wrestled and fought. It's one of those times where you begin a difficult conversation in one room and by the near the end of it, you're in separate rooms. Where she walked out and someone else didn't follow for 20 or 30 minutes. And yet, at the same time, because of what God is doing, God is actively doing in our lives by the power of His Spirit, we were at dinner with dear friends the other night, and, and one of them just interrupted all of a sudden and said, are you two ever sitting next to each other where you're not touching? And, and I rejoice at that because I spent 29 years without a wife, and I'm grateful for what God is doing in our being able to share life together. So I want to I acknowledge right now that, that there is an extremely wide spectrum represented in this room, and I am, I am aware of it, and it brought me to this message with, with a certain trepidation, because how, how is it possible to, to cover all of these possible scenarios we, all find, we could all find ourselves in? I mean, we, someone once said that marriage is like flies on a screen door. There's those waiting to get out, and there's those waiting to get in. We find ourselves at all these different places from, from abuse and neglect and being in a marriage that is nothing but brokenness and sadness to entering in naive, not having faced any struggles and just living in a state of bliss. So what would I like to do this morning in the midst of this? I'd, I'd like to establish two foundational truths about Christian marriage that controls everything we think about and how we understand marriage. One, that Christian marriage is a portrayal of Christ's love, his covenant faithfulness to the church. And two, that Christian marriage is a primary means of God working in us to make us more like our Savior not just for our sake, but for the sake of displaying his covenant love in the gospel to the world. In other words, it's the path of sanctification and the display of his glory. And then I would like to look at some specific things in marriage over which we have conflict that God uses for our sanctification. The black hardcover Bibles that are nearby, if you want to grab one of them or turn your own Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, it's on page 978 of the black hardcovered Bibles. And we're going to read verses 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love his husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. The first thing I believe that we can see in this text is that Christian marriage is a portrayal of Christ and the church. We're told, husbands, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Wives to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. Husbands, lay down sacrificially for your wife, your life. Wife, accept gratefully your husband's care and leadership. Husband and wife, both called to things beyond their natural ability and contrary to their sin nature. Just as we see Christ, in, just as we see in Christ's crucifixion, his laying down his life for the church, do we not experience the cross in marriage by dying to self and consecrating our life to God and, and in service to our spouse? Just as Jesus proves his faithfulness to us in his covenant with us in the giving of his body and shedding of his blood, so are, to, so are we to reflect the same sacrificial covenant relationship with our spouse. And just as Jesus is working in the church to purify us and make us holy, we are called to that same patient work in our marriage. And just as Christ will one day consummate his marriage to the church in the great wedding supper with great joy, so too may we enjoy and display a foretaste of that same glorious union in a, in a God-born life, a God-produced joy of marriage that is obtained only through the same sacrifice and the same covenantal faithfulness. Christian marriage is distinct. It's not secular marriage. It's not the marriage of, of, of two people that are Hindu. It is, it is specific. It is distinct because it's about Christ and the church. It is sacramental with a small s. A sacrament is a means of grace and a sign or a symbol of a spiritual reality. Christian marriage is to be an incarnation of the gospel itself, a presentation of the gospel message of Christ's sacrificial love for his church in the flesh and blood presence of our marriages. Our marriages are to be a display of this durable, resilient, covenant-keeping love of Jesus for his people. When a husband loves his wife sacrificially, when a wife yields to her husband's leadership, the relationship of bridegroom and bride, Christ and the church, is on display. If not to others, at least to God, who is glorified in that man and in that woman in marriage. Christian husband and wife created co-equal and in complementary roles, we have a noble and God-giving calling to display the covenant-keeping love 
the fidelity of Christ. The second thing I believe we can take from this scripture is that Christian marriage is a primary means of God working in us to make us more like his, his son Jesus. Not just for our sake, but for the purpose of displaying that to others, that love, that gospel. In other words, it's the path to sanctification and the display of his glory. Just as Christ is bringing about holiness in the church by his word and spirit, so too is marriage a means of sanctification in the husband and wife. Husbands are given the responsibility for leadership so that the marriage, the relationship, the family would follow Christ. This work of sanctification occurs through the things in marriage that reveal our sinfulness. They reveal our brokenness. And that God purposes, these things God purposes for our sanctification. In other words, it happens through the things that married people fight about. Our hearts and minds and bodies resist and struggle against these things which God is using to sanctify us. And we often want to throw away the extremely painful and difficult things. But these are the things, these are an expression of the cross that we must embrace. Our sanctification, it requires effort. We, working by the power of God's spirit that he supplies through, through every means, we exert ourselves to share Christ's sufferings, to endure difficulty, to endure in faithfulness, to be holy as God is holy, to forgive, to mortify the deeds of our flesh, to put the sinful passions to death, to deny ourselves and take up our cross. So what are some of these things? What are some of these very difficult things? The first one I'm going to refer to, I'll call the holiday challenge and other horror stories of joining two families. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the troubles that we have in our marriages with our extended family. Your story, I'm sure your stories out there, they run the gamut of everything from where you'll spend Thanksgiving to caring for an aging parent to, front, to just direct frontal attacks on your parenting and intrusions into your marriage. Our story, it begins with that conversation that ended up with us in separate rooms. And um, we've had years of struggle uh, with this uh, on both sides of our family, many times tempted to just give up. Put on a phony smile and just fake it for the rest of your life. To refuse to suffer. And, and, and justify a lack of kindness because of how, you've been, of how you've been hurt. You know, it is such a temptation when you have an unchangeable situation to just refuse to suffer. I'm not going to deal with this. Instead of embrace the cross of Christ in the midst of it for your purification, for your sanctification, for God's work of holiness in your life, for God's work of driving out the snake that is in every one of us. To refuse to say hard things in that context of, of extended family, to refuse to have difficult conversations. Dane and I have found ourselves guilty of, of much dysfunction and, and much sin in the midst of that. I, I have had to bear great responsibility for just a lack of graciousness and a lack of kindness, a, a lack of willingness to, to suffer long 
in the midst of a situation that, that we can't change? And, and how does the gospel change how we look at this? How we look at, uh, and probably more importantly, uh, how we look at um, our extended family and more importantly, our spouse's family, because usually it's, it's more difficult uh, as, as you interact with your spouse's family. Well, gospel basics, forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3, this, this passage of Scripture is just, it pretty much puts every fire out. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, if we didn't get it the first time, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It is forgiving the things that you cannot change in people. It is forgiving those things in your spouse. It is forgiving those things in your, your extended family of your spouse. It is repentance. It is, it is taking responsibility for my sins and my mistakes as I got out of my room and, and went and sought Dana out and repented of my, my unkindness, my lack of graciousness. It is responsibility of, of, of making the changes because repentance is... Yes, asking forgiveness, it is, it is yes, uh, that immediate act, but it is, it is to turn and go the other direction by the grace of God. And then the gospel informs these relationships because it teaches us to speak the truth in love in every situation. It teaches us in marriage to leave our mother and father and cleave to our wife. There is a new identity there in the gospel in gospel-centered marriage, and to embrace the cross in relationships. Again, those relationships we cannot change, but loving people anyway. The second thing that there's been so much conflict over, and the gospel has, has, has informed and does inform for all of us, is what I'm going to call the deep mystery. What am I talking about? It's sex. It's the deep mystery. Again, just to acknowledge the wide spectrum of, of where we are and the impossibility of, of, of bringing completion to this uh, in, in just a few minutes this morning. But within marriage, sex presents one of the greatest sources of temptation to be selfish and to feel justified in our selfishness. For a husband to think only of himself and to expect to get what he wants and when he wants, wants it, without regard for his wife. Tremendous temptation. And for the wife to withhold this from the husband as a means of punishment are real temptations and deep struggles that we must invite God into. According to Scripture, sex is the good gift of God to married couples, to one man and one woman joined together in the covenant of marriage until parted by death or the return of Christ. And that's it. It's the good gift of God for, for, for the purpose of bringing forth new life into this world. It's one of the inescapable purposes in Scripture. 
and for giving us joy and delight in one another, nourishing love and unity and harmony and helping to build a fortress against enemies, foreign and domestic, in the union of marriage. We live in a day and a culture that largely degrades the most holy and beautiful things. And the way we talk about the most holy and beautiful things uh, is also in a degraded way. And, 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 and I don't think this is more true of anything than sex. If we have lost our way anywhere, it's, it's here. We degrade what is truly awesome by making everything awesome. But even though we talk that way, it's not actually true. The Rocky Mountains are awesome. The Brooklyn Bridge is even awesome when you learn about it. But your new t-shirt is not awesome. And the game app that you got on your phone yesterday that will be forgotten about in a couple months, that's not awesome. With everything awesome, nothing is awesome. The way, the way sex is spoken of today and throughout our culture has so degraded it that just by a little effort on our part, we can re-elevate it to the world around us. Through scripture, it is spoken of in the most beautiful and elevated way until God is coming against man's perversion of it. And in the, in the Old Testament, it, the, the phrase, the, the, the idiom that is used for sex is to know, that a man would know his wife. And it, 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 it communicates in the most entire way, the, it, the, the entire giving away of oneself, that, that there is. And that's why there's, there's no, uh, that's why if there's no covenantal vow of faithfulness to each other, partners find it so easy to lose complete respect for one another and themselves and feel so guilty even to the point of self-loathing. Outside of marriage, you give, if you give what is most precious of yourself away entirely, you become entirely vulnerable and prone and instead of the good, the bad, and the ugly you being cherished and loved and accepted, it's disposable. In the covenant of marriage, to know, to know your spouse is to give away yourself entirely, the good and the bad and the ugly you, and in that most exposed and vulnerable condition, to be loved and accepted. This act of love is mystery. Only in this covenant can this be known. And if you've been known both inside and outside of marriage, even by the same partner, it is that terribly difficult thing to untangle the two and, and, the, and experience the deep wonder of this love. But Jesus can redeem and restore everything that's broken. This is the sweet comfort that our gracious God gives married couples to face a crazy, sometimes brutal world. And it's hard to imagine something that has been violated more and with more devastating and far-reaching consequences. Here is my plea. Remain a virgin until you're married, speaking to the unmarried. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was fully man and celibate. His mother was a virgin. This is something to be adored. This is something to be exalted. This is something to be praised. 
Hold on to that most precious gift. My second plea, if you're unmarried, do not marry someone who is not a Christian. The scripture is clear about this for our own good out of God's gracious heart. Friendship with Christians should be the norm for us as Christians. For friendship with non-Christians should be the norm, of course. This is the gospel, but not marriage. If you are struggling to break free of past failures, the gospel, God forbid we would use Jesus cliches. They would never have touched me in my moments of lostness and brokenness. But also, God forbid, we fail to bring the assurance of redemption, the message of hope, that Jesus Christ can restore the deepest brokenness, no matter where you have been. Over time, in community, by his word and spirit that is living and active, he changes our lives, and there is tremendous hope. To married Christian couples, in a Christian marriage, know that the, your greatest joy in the mysterious and powerful act of physical union will be when you give yourself unselfishly and patiently to your spouse. I believe it's extremely rare, perhaps non-existent, to have a husband and wife enter marriage with the equal desire for it, with an equal freedom from some degree of having viewed their bodies as some way dirty or unspiritual, uh, with an equal physical ability and responsiveness. And then we bring all of these past failures that shame and haunt us. If you're finding yourself bewildered and lost and confused, uh, you're not alone. And, and this is an invitation to seek God in this and help from, from godly Christian spiritual advisors. There are, I think that the devil has has created more ways to ruin our sexuality than anything else. But it can be redeemed. And I know this, otherwise God would not have made a typological comparison between the union of Christ and the church and the union of a husband and wife. So God works this sanctification in us uh, through one another. Husbands, I invite you to live with your wives in an understanding way. Peter, in, he, 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 he commands us, husbands, live with your wives, dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Are you laying down your life in patience for her as Christ does for his church so that she may enjoy the blessed comforts of physical union with you? Have you asked her that lately? Am I, am I living in an understanding way? And vice versa to the wife. Are you putting your spouse's interests and needs before your own in a healthy way? Are you communicating your needs to your spouse in a healthy way instead of acting in a, in a passive, aggressive way and, and punishing them for something they don't even realize they, they've done wrong? That's not the way of Jesus, our Savior, who reveals himself to us in words spoken kindly. So this is an invitation to start a conversation with your spouse. If you're at a place 
where you're not able to talk to one another about this, then invite someone that has some spiritual maturity into that conversation so that the gospel can impact it and touch where it needs to touch. So then there's children. What another vast area where God works in our lives as husband and wife. We, we can come out of this society, out of this culture, cherishing conjugality, someone said, but disliking posterity. Cherishing the, the act of physical union, but disliking the children that result from it. I don't know of anything, this is probably top on my list, for how God has worked sanctification into my own life. You don't get to sleep when you want. You don't get to eat when you want. You give away your life. You lay it down. And this is good. And I am wrestling after 33 years of being a Christian to grasp resurrection life that only comes through sacrificial death. This is our calling, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is to embrace the cross. It is embracing suffering. It is embracing laying your own life down, going into the ground, into the grave, and embracing the cross of Jesus Christ, embracing burial, and looking forward to what resurrection God will bring. This is completely contrary to what Will Kenny wants. This is completely counterintuitive. This is completely contradictory and countercultural to everything else we are barraged with. Lay down your life, man. Lay down your life, woman. Lay down your life, husband. Lay down your life, wife. You are Christ's. Your life has been bought with a price. You no longer belong to yourself. And in this, in the midst of no matter how deep your brokenness has gone, how many years it goes back, Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and he will redeem it. I don't, I don't care if your struggles and your conflicts are 30 years old. Bring them to the altar and bring them with help because I can't do it myself. I don't know about you. Dana and I can't do this ourselves. We have deep friendships, and I have, the, I have men in my life that can confront the things that need confronted. Every man in this room, I'm not alone, I'm not different than you. You desperately need your brother. You desperately need your sister. In the midst of a family, God works deep sanctification. I'm going to close this with Psalm 85.10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. This has always been understood as what has happened in the cross. God's demanding justice meeting God's immense mercy. Reconciled together. Truth and mercy, law and grace. But I believe this scripture sums up Christian marriage. It, it, it expresses the essence 
of a marriage built on Christ and his gospel because as we, we see that God brings both together in this sanctifying work within marriage. Where do righteousness and peace meet together except in Christ's love for his body, the church? And where is Christ's love for his body, the church, to be on display but in the marriage of a man and woman who are bound together in steadfast love and covenant faithfulness and whose kiss, the kiss of a husband and wife, embodies righteousness and peace, mercy and truth, repentance and forgiveness all joined together. You, my married brothers and sisters, have a high and glorious calling to display the glory of God by living a life of sacrificial faithfulness to each other. In this is love. So I, I'm going to invite us to three things. One, to reaffirm that as Christians who have been united together with Christ in his death, we live out his call to deny ourselves and give our lives for our spouse, even with all their sin. Even when that doesn't go away when we snap our fingers. Number two, to endure hardship, to endure the hardships of marriage that require daily repentance and forgiveness and see them as a path to your personal reconciliation or your personal sanctification rather and your personal growth in Christ. Repent to each other with tender hearts. Forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. And thirdly, to know and be thankful that God has given married couples to each other for help, comfort, and encouragement, and delight in the midst of difficult, difficult times, so that truly we would have a taste of heaven on earth as we experience the covenantal faithfulness of Jesus through our spouse, and celebrate righteousness and peace together in our physical union. It is these joys that sustain us in marriage. If you find yourself in a marriage marked by the suffering of the cross without the consolation of your, of your spouse, my heart breaks for you. There, and there is nothing I can say right now to change that. But what I can be certain of is that the loneliness that is felt there is unbearable alone. I know that because for 29 years, I lived a life that was marked by suffering without the consolation of a spouse. And though it was different than your story, I felt the unbearable loneliness. And that's not meant to be a comparison, just to validate how difficult that loneliness is. And I want to invite you this morning into relationship because it is in relationship with Christ and his body, the church, that we are changed, that we are redeemed. I want to invite our church to become the incarnation of the gospel, to become the flesh and blood demonstration and witness of God's love for sinners, to live out Christ-indwelling relationships with one another until Christ returns in glory. Marriage, my marriage to Dana will end one day when one of us dies or Christ returns. It's not the ultimate relationship and children and sex are not the ultimate blessings. To you unmarried seeking to be married, do not seek it as though it is the highest, greatest, and most ultimate. Seek Christ as the ultimate relationship.
Only the marriage of the church to Christ will endure for eternity. So ultimately, it is the church that is to display this covenant love of our God. Let us, not only with our spouse, but the church, but in the church, heal up the brokenhearted. Let us welcome the distressed and sin entangled into relationship with us so that we can be, as the church, the display of his glorious and durable love for us. Amen.